welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. One of the things I love about this industry is the opportunities that there are for people to evolve into different areas of hairdressing if they wish to. Don't get me wrong, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being 100% focused behind the chair as a stylist or colorist and building up a salon clientele, or maybe even opening up your own salon for some people. But for other people, their journey takes them in other directions as an educator or to various opportunities within product companies. My guest today is one of those people. His name is Colin Caruso, and he is the owner of Caruso Salon in New Jersey and is now also Artistic Director for Professional Hair Color for John Paul Mitchell Systems. So in today's podcast, we will discuss color consultations, sustainability, social media, style trip, and the importance of storytelling and lots more besides. So welcome to our guest today, Mr. Colin Caruso. What's up, Anthony? Thank you so much for having me. Mate, it's really really good to have you here. I really appreciate you putting the time aside to have a a chat to us today. So um, let's start with an overview of your background. Who is Colin Caruso? Give us your sort of two-minute backstory um, as to who you are, uh, what you do, where you're from, and, and what you're currently doing. So over to you, Colin. Yeah. All right. So first and foremost, I'm a husband and father. I think those two things are are a priority for me. Um, I have a beautiful wife, Melissa, and three amazing children. Um, So those, again, that's my priority. So that's the first thing that I'd like to say. And um, from there, I'm a soccer coach. I am an educator for John Paul Mitchell Systems. I am a salon owner in Hoboken, New Jersey. I'm a behind-the-chair hair colorist um, two days a week in the salon. you know, and those would be my main things, you know, uh, from there. But, you know, quite simply, I really describe myself as a guy from New Jersey who who works with his hands, basically. Okay. Well, that's a good start point. So uh, uh, in the introduction, as I said, you are the, you know, creative or artistic director for professional hair color for John Paul Mitchell Systems. Um, what does that look like? Explain what that, you know, lofty title is. What does that mean you do? What does your average, <laughs> you know, week look like? What's your, what's your role within the company? Yeah, I think I have the best job in the world um, at John Paul Mitchell Systems. My main uh, job is to make sure that everything we put out with professional hair color uh, supports and helps uh, professional hair colorists make a living. So that could be, you know, I'm involved in anything from photo shoots to launching products to ideating what types of new products we should be creating um, to looking at all of our brands and saying, this is where our color works great, but maybe we're missing this series or that series, you know, um, filling in the blanks uh, for there. And basically, I get to be the visionary, um, you know, of John Paul Mitchell Systems professional hair color moving forward. And really, ultimately, it's just making sure that every product we put out is successful and makes hairdressers successful. So it's a big job, Anthony, as you know, but um, it's a fun job. It's constantly changing and evolving every day. Good. And you're doing a great job at it, if if I do say so myself. So um, you balance that with uh, running a salon. I know you opened a salon Mm -hmm. in uh, 2006, if I'm right. Yeah, Um, you're correct. So, so, you know, you've had a, a salon in Hoboken in New Jersey since 2006. And now I know you spend a lot of time um, on the road, you know, doing shows and seminars and, and educating, not just around the US, but I know in uh, European countries as well. So um, I want to ask you, how do you balance that running a business and, and being on the road as an educator? Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they might have a salon business, and they maybe aspire to you know, to uh, stretch their wings a little bit and work in other areas of the industry. And I always warn them that, you know, there's a balance to be found there that often a lot of people find out the hard way. So tell us, how do you balance those two roles? Uh, Great question. Um, I think, number one, you have to be realistic. Um, It is impossible, really, to be um, hyper successful on every levels of your life. Um, So for me, number one, being realistic is, is really important. Number two, you have to really kind of 
um, establish what's most important to you. What does success really look like? Why are you doing these things? Um, a lot of times, you know, in the world that we live in, we're looking at other people's success and emulating theirs and using that as a gauge. And I think really kind of, it's really important to establish what success is to you. So what success is to me is, um, being present and being available to my family first and foremost, when they need me, um, supporting them. Um, and then outside of being a father, what's important to me creatively is that I get to grow and get to be pushed and get to experience new things. And then when I look at my salon, what's really important to me within my salon, um, and it just changes, you know, when my salon first opened, it was my primary source of income. It was the number one thing I wanted to do. I mean, I basically, um, I don't think I was, I can say this fairly. I don't think I'm a business person. Um, I don't think a lot of us are as hairdressers. I think I was personally unemployable. Um, I didn't work well with others necessarily, bosses and things. I always had my own ideas, my only my own ways of doing things, my own um, concepts. And I think for a long time that worked well. Um, but then just like anything else, I evolved into I really wanted to do something. And maybe there was someone saying no or not supporting it. And that's when I kind of broke off on my own there. So I broke off. My salon started really out of creative reasons. And I think when I look at my salon right now, um, that's where I really try to focus on. I want it to be a creative space um, that's supportive of hairdressers. Um, that was been a big thing for me too. That's one of the reasons why I did open my business. I, I had so much say in previous salons as a manager and things, but I couldn't ultimately protect or make decisions uh, on behalf of the people I worked with or you know uh, fully. So that's why I opened my salon. I wanted to be the decision maker. For example, if somebody came and said, I want, you know, um, more money or I want, you know, less Saturdays off or whatever, as a manager, I could do a certain amount of things, but I couldn't ultimately make that decision, that final decision. So I wanted to open my own business to be flexible, um, to have that decision, you know, to keep creative people happy if I, if I had a, a, a hand in it, um, and to grow them not only financially, but creatively as well. So, for me, I mean, the balance part of it really just kind of rolls around the idea of why did you open your business? Why do you want to be an educator? What are you really looking for? And be honest with yourself. Um, and then once you kind of define what success looks like in those key areas, um, you know, it's kind of like if you look at each one of those things as a tree, mm. right, that you want to grow healthy and strong, you only have so much water. You know, you could put all your water in your salon tree and that's going to flourish, but your family tree may die, you know, or your yeah. financial tree may be lower or your creative tree may be lower. So I look at everything as a tree and I, I kind of notice what one's thriving. And when that one's thriving, maybe take a little water away from that tree and put it in an area that isn't um, doing so well. Um, that's kind of the analogy that I would use. And it's a constant struggle to identify what's thriving and what needs help. Um, sometimes it's really easy to, focus on the thing that's thriving and then forget about the other thing, you know, that's sitting over here. And by the time it's brown and withered, you're yeah. a little too late to water, yeah. you know? So it's identifying what needs help when and, and finding balance. And then lastly, it's trusting people, you know, because I think, you know, in order to be successful, it takes a lot of people around you uh, to help you get there. And um, those people aren't there just to make you successful. You're there to help them and by trusting them and allowing them to grow and, you know, that really helps the entire project, everything grow across the board. So I don't know if that answers the question, but for yeah, me, no, it's, it does. It does. I, I, I was going to ask you on top of that, and you sort of started going there uh, with your answer. I was going to ask you, so what advice would you give to someone else who wants to take this direction in their career of, of owning a salon, but, you know, being an educator, so therefore you're traveling a lot and not always in the salon. But I, I think you sort of answered that within, you know, the context of, of how you deal with it. You know, it's all yeah. about finding, finding that balance and, and uh, you know, being honest with yourself and, and, you know, being prepared to accept some, you know, some home truths sometimes. So uh, anything yeah. you want to add to that as to what well, I mean, give someone else? Yeah, there's that. And then there's also this concept of, why, why do you want to be an educator? Why do you want to be a salon owner? What, what is the education going to do? You know, you could educate your own salon. Mm. You have to be realistic too. Like, what is it that, you know, that is driving you to want to do these other things? And at what cost does it come? I, I get asked on a daily basis, honestly, because not since once I got promoted to my, my 
my position, I have a lot of people who want to assist me or want to work for me or want to pack up their lives, leave a place they're already successful and come work at my salon, as an example. Um, and I can tell that they're very passionate and serious about that decision. But for me, my first thing I do is talk them out of it. You know, what are you expecting my salon to be like? It sounds like your salon's great. It is. I love my current salon. I'm doing great. I'm building. So what is it? Why would you leave? Well, I always wanted to work with you. Well, do you want to work with me in my salon? Because I'm not there very often. <laughs> so yeah. what's the expectation level? You know, oh, you're not there. I'm there two days a week. So if I let somebody pack up and move and come work in my business, their expectation isn't what my reality is. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, and I think oftentimes in our industry, people don't really pull the curtain back a little bit and yeah. let people know, like, you know, I have this beautiful, glamorous job. I'm, I've worked 20 years to get at John Paul Mitchell System, but it's definitely cost me time with my family. Mm-hmm. It's definitely cost me time with my business. So you weigh all those things out, you know, and you have to be quick on the change and quick on the fly and, and noticing, you know, what has to evolve or change. Yeah. So for me, I always try to tell people, like, what is it that you want that you don't have that you're going to receive from being an educator, as an example? Sure. What's the expectation level there? Yeah. You know, and that's really something to think about because there might be an opportunity for you to do that within the business you're in and not necessarily have to, you know, switch or get into something else. So, you know, what makes you tick? That's kind yeah. of a trick. So, so, so you're in the salon, uh, your own salon two days a week. Are you doing clients? Yeah, I have a few clients left. Um, that's another thing, you know, um, my travel schedule is extensive um, you know, last month I was gone 24 days out of the month. Um, so then you tack in a family and you, and that's not a normal month. You know, usually it's about 15 to 18 days, half the month, but you tack in a family and home responsibilities and a business on top of that, you know, um, something's going to give. And for me, um, that was okay because I didn't necessarily want to be behind the chair as much anymore anyway. Yeah. So no matter how good you think you are, no matter how busy you are, if you're not available, people are going to go to somebody else. Your talent only holds up so much. And I, I'm okay with that. That's one of the reasons why I became a salon owner. Um, I knew, again, I wanted to be that decision maker. I wanted to be the creative influence. Um, I also knew I didn't want to be behind the chair forever. So for me, I'm happy You know, if my guests are seeing you know, Heidi from my salon or Michael or, or Ashley or whoever, Brittany... Whoever they're seeing in my slide, I know they're going to be taken care of just as well, if not better. And I also know that that helps that stylist. So for me, it's a win-win. Um, and I always kind of knew in the back of my mind, that's why I wanted to own a salon because I didn't necessarily want to be behind the chair. But now that I'm behind the chair two days a week here and there, sometimes no weeks, my, my book got spread out. I don't have the same clientele. I mean, and you're talking to a guy who books 6000 US dollars a week in hair color. I mean, opened my own business when I was 25 years old with my own money based off of my hands doing hair. You know, that's how I got my money. I was a hustler, 6,000 a week, not including tips. So, you know, I made a lot of money um, doing hair. I I hustled for, I worked for it. I built that book and that book got me my business. And then my business, you know, I spread that book through the people that, you know, I rely on every day to keep that business open. So I am in the chair two days a week. I do think it's important for me to still have the relationships with clients. Um, Clients keep you abreast on what's going on in the salon industry, um, what the trends are, um, how they want to be serviced, what ingredients are important to them, what's happening in the world and how they view it. And, And number one, I think the biggest gift we get as hairdressers is the ability to, quite frankly, sometimes spend two, three hours with people we would never hang out with otherwise. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so when you're, I, I mean, the people that are listening to this podcast are a, a, a diverse range. Some of them are salon owners, some of them are seasoned professionals, some of them are, are, are youngsters, you know, straight out of beauty school or in an apprenticeship. So, one of the things I, I said in the intro is that I wanted to talk to you about consultations, you know, today. Uh, not, not a lot, but let's talk about consultations for the next, you know, five, 10 minutes or so. Um, because I think it's a, it's an area that is often, um, we teach a lot about technique. We teach a lot about, um, you know, the the science of hair color, but I think that where a lot of 
you know, mistakes happen and where a lot of opportunities are in terms of growing a color business is in the, the, the consultation side of things. Before you pick up a tint brush, before you open a shade chart, it's mm-hmm. about how you, you talk to people. So can we talk a little bit about the consultation side of things? I mean, without, um, you know, without going into too much detail, because we could probably talk about consultations for the <laughs> entire podcast, but um, let, let's start off with consultations. Let me ask you this question. I was talking to someone the other day, and he says, I charge for consultations. Do you charge mm-hmm. for consultations? Uh, typically, no. Um, we've been trying to, again, consultation is just communication. Essentially, the better the communicator you are, um, the better the uh, client's uh, expectation becomes a true reality. So I don't necessarily charge for consults. We've been uh, messing around with uh, FaceTime consults when the clients are, are slow, when our uh, staff is slow. I'm creating a master list and then being able to, to chime in on those people and do FaceTime consults. I mean, people are communicating digitally like we are right now. So yeah. tap into that. You don't have to drive into the salon, find parking and, and you know, pay for a consult. I'm also a fan of paying for a consult. If you're that booked and you're that mm-hmm. busy and you're really not looking for new guests and you're trying to see if you're a fit, uh, definitely well, do that. I, I think the reason he did it was in the context of he was sick of having so many no-shows. So, yeah. you know, he'd do a consult and his consult wasn't 30 seconds at the, at the reception desk. Yeah. You know, it was a 15 minute. And, yeah. um, you know, his logic was I'd be doing a consultation with someone I'd spend 15 minutes with them and I want to charge them for that. And then if, they, sure. if they book the service, then that deposit they'd paid for the consultation was redeemable against the service. So yeah. it, was, yeah. it was only if they, um, you know, didn't have the service, it was like, okay, well, you've taken 20 minutes of my time. That's, you know, that's worth something. So, you yeah. know, you charge yeah. But see, the way I see it too is it's, it's, it's the client's time as well. They spent 20 minutes of their time plus longer to park, to drive, to get there, to show up, to spend time with you. And, um, you know, to me, it's a, it's a give and take. And if you do your job pr- great with the console, odds are they're not going to no show you, you know, and hopefully. when you get, you know, yeah, hopefully. And, and when they do no show you again, that is a, a definite issue with hairdressers. I think that I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm. That's why we're trying to find creative ways to book. Um, and make people aware that, you know, no showing a hairdresser is a big deal. But again, that's just a product of the digital era we live in. Uh, people can cancel with a click of a button, don't have to speak to a human being. So there's yeah. nothing really attached to it, you know? So I think that's more the issue than the consult. But for me, when you look at um, consulting in general, consulting for me is it's all about uh, to alleviate future frustration. That's how I look at it. The definition of frustration is an expectation unmet. So if I don't make sure that I go through every single solitary thing as a professional to make sure that the guest understands exactly what's going to happen with the process, what's what we can actually do in one visit versus a second visit versus a third visit, how many visits is this going to take? We want to be clear, effective communicators because that's the only way to avoid frustration is through effective communication. So sure. um, you know, a lot of times as hairdressers, I think the one thing we have going for us right now is that the rest of the planet is as excited about hair as we are. It's amazing through social media and things like that. Like I have clients coming in, like, do you balayage? Do you do teasy lights? Like they're actually calling the term. Sometimes they come in asking for things I don't even know about yet, you know, that they found out. So (laughs) it's really cool. Colors that you never seen before. Like it's no longer flipping through a magazine, you know, like back in the day and saying, is this the Jennifer Aniston picture you're talking about? You know, um, hairdressers don't drive that bus anymore. Clients are coming in asking for certain things. And I think what's really cool is if you're a great colorist, if you're a true professional, you're going to thrive in this era because uh, professionalism is dying across the board. You know, um, you look at anything like, you know, my wife will take a screenshot from YouTube and go to um, the hardware store locally and pick up all the supplies, plumbing supplies, she needs to fix the sink mm. and she's not a plumber. Mm. Um, you know, so being how, knowing how to do something makes you capable. Knowing why you're doing what you're doing makes you professional. So if there's a minor situation, professionals aren't needed anymore because of the access people have hair color is no different. So what we have to do more and more is, is, is 
be professional, do the things that amateurs can't do, focus on formulation, focus on great consults, focus on beautiful service, and making sure that we are above and beyond delivering over an amateur experience. Those are the people that will thrive moving forward. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting because I want to I talk about the home color market uh, uh, shortly. But, you know, when you talk about consultations and you say it's communication, I couldn't agree more. Um, what what is you know when you've been around a while you've been around a while you 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 sort of narrow down your approach to these are the these are the words to use this is the verbiage mm-hmm. this is the dialogue to get to get to the point to to communicate as effectively as possible what what are mm-hmm. the right questions to ask during a consultation from a colorist perspective you know what are the words that come out of your mouth as a as a generalization in a consultation no, that's great. My first question is always, do you have any pictures? Um, pictures worth a thousand words, right? So yeah. for me, um, I want to see. I can't tell you how many times people are like, oh my God, I do. I just didn't want to offend you. People always say that. I want to offend you by showing you a picture. I'm like, Dude, it's not offensive. We're all different, right? So everybody sees things differently. My first objective as a hair colorist is to see hair color the way my guest sees it. There's no such thing as right or wrong. Um, if a guest comes in and says, this is too, does this look yellow? It doesn't matter to me. My answer is if it does to you, it is, you know, like let's fix it. So for me, I have to first see what they see, see what they like about a picture. That's my next question. What do you like about it? You could be surprised just by asking, what do you like about that picture? They might like one thing out of the 50 things happening in that picture. Um, so, you know, I'll give you an example. If somebody shows me a blonde picture or comes in and says, I want to be lighter. My question is, you know, because blonding works in lighter, the degree of lightness or darkness, how bright the blonde is, or it could work in percentage. But the word is the same. You know, I want to be lighter. Oh, maybe they want to be blonder overall, or maybe they want to be brighter in their blonding. So I really have to start to look at how they see color. Once I start to see those pictures, I ask, what do you like about that picture? Um, what is your expectation today? Do you have any time restraints? Are you in a rush today? How much time do you have to spend with me? Um, you know, what do you do maintenance wise? How do you take care of this color? You know, those are all questions that I'm going to ask, but I really do think the proper, you know, the easiest thing to do is, is show me some pictures, talk to me about what you like about it. Tell me about some positive experience or negative experiences you had in previous salons. And then once I'm applying and starting to apply the hair color, the consult really doesn't end. I'm still trying to get to know this human being, what makes them tick. Um, you know, how do they, how, what, you know, what, what they like about the service? Do they want to be, want me to apply quicker? Do they want to spend time and relax? It's all about customization in this era, you know, and the ability to, people are all individuals. We want to be able to accommodate each person individually. So for me, the console is just visually, that's where I go with it. And I really do try to see how they see color. And then I try to make sure that their expectations are real. You know, a balayage consult, you know, and you guys can do this really easily. Take, take a family member who has a level five dark hair, balayage them once, take a picture, do a second balayage, take a picture, do a third, take a picture, do a fourth, take a picture. And you can actually show your client, this was a balayage after one service, two, three, four. So what I always tell people is I can do that picture you're asking, but I want to let you know that that's a five service picture. I can do all five services in one day and I can charge you for all five services today and, you know, work you in through my book, or I can spread those out through multiple visits. You know, you won't be spending as much at once and we'll gradually get you there. Yeah. Most clients are cool with the gradual approach, but if you don't have that conversation, the expectation is I showed you this picture and I don't look like it. Yeah. And too often times, yeah, too often times hairdressers don't connect those dots and that's really what they need to do. You need to connect dots. You're the professional. Yeah. You know the work that goes into and, it. And manage people's expectations. 100%. So, so you just touched on, on pricing then. Um, you know, you're lucky in that, like me, you get to go into lots of different salons as well now. So you see lots of different pricing models. Um, how do you price your services? And, and just talk to us a little bit about pricing and what you see happening out there what's effective, what works? Do you see any salons pricing per hour? Are they all pricing per service? You know, what are the different things you see happening as far as pricing goes? I think most people price 
per service, and then they price per uh, hour with color correction. I don't consider myself any different. I mean, we definitely charge per service. Um, I do believe there's limitations with that thinking. And I've been wanting to do this for a long time, but haven't jumped in. Um, I believe that if you do just charge per visit, um, you know, and even if you charge more, you just did what was needed in that visit, kind of like a doctor. You know, a doctor doesn't charge you uh, more for an earache than he does a stomach ache. You know, it's just you're here for this visit. This is what needs to get done. Um, I think that's the evolution of it. I know pricing right now is all the rage in, in social media too. People love to to write that they charge one client thirteen hundred dollars for a color service, and you know I, I believe that's a little bravado to that as well. Um, I understand if that's what it takes, you know, and it's encouraging people to raise their own prices. But it's also encouraging people who shouldn't raise their prices to live to up to unrealistic expectations. You know, um, I've seen a lot of hundred dollar colorist charging thirteen hundred dollars because that's what their heroes are doing online and they're just not quite there yet. You know, you can't get helicoptered to the top of the mountain and expect the same results as someone who climbed it. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I I think, you know, what you really have to do, and you know better than anybody, Anthony, um, you have to look at what it costs to do business in your neighborhood. <laughs> um, what the people that live in your neighborhood can afford to pay. What is your rent? Yep. What are your bills? And you have to figure out, you know, um, how busy you want to be. You know, there, I know plenty of colorist friends that do one person a day. And yes, they're posting, they charged $1,500, but they did one person and only made $1,500 that day. And I know other colorists who charge $125 for highlights and do nine people, 10 people and make the same amount of money, if not more. Yeah, sure. So how do you want to work, you know, and what kind of artist are you? Do you want to be with the one person all day and be a color correction specialist? Yeah. You know, that's great. You know, there's the ability. Do you want to look for a higher end market and really focus in on them? That's great. Well, then your service and your experience better cater to those people because you know, as well as I do, if you're driving a uh, Bentley, you're not going to drop it off at the Ford dealership to get serviced. Yeah. It's not the same experience. You know what I mean? So it costs you more to charge more. So, you know, all those things are, you know, it's such a personal thing. And I think for a lot of us as hairdressers, it's why we love coaches like you, because we're on the creative side of it, you know, and most of us have done this for free. I mean, I would do this for free every day of the week. I don't mind. I love doing hair. I'm relaxed and comfortable. I'm happy doing hair. So um, some people need a push and some people need a pullback, you know, it just depends, you know, but again, that's just all about self-evaluation and, and where you want to be in your neighborhood and what type of people you want to work on. I could charge more in my salon. I'm the art director, you know, at John Paul Mitchell Systems. But I don't necessarily want to work on a super high-end, stressful clientele. You know, I'd rather okay. just work with the, you know, the blue-collar people I love to work on every day that, you know, I grew up with. So okay. it just depends on what you want to do. All right. Well, you, you touched on earlier on, and I said we'll come to that shortly because it was an interesting area. And you talked about, you know, that you were – uh, toying with, I think you said toying with doing Facebook consultations, et cetera, for color clients. Mm -hmm. And um, you you sort of touched on the home hairdressing market. And as soon as you said that, um, it made me think about that, you know, at the moment there is something like whether you're talking in the United States or whether you're talking in, in, in Europe, Australia, whatever, mm -hmm. there are something like two out of three clients color their hair at home. And there's this new player on the market with these internet-based color companies like um, eSalon and MadisonReed.com and the L'Oreal one, uh, colorandco.com. And there's now more pressure than ever for salons to lift their game because these online color companies, they're not just, you know, at aisle seven in, in Walgreen, a box color. This is a online consultation with a colorist on the other end of the phone using Skype or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever, giving you a one-to-one face-to-face consultation based on being able to look at you and communicate. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about the home color market? What are your thoughts about these new entrants into the color market? And most importantly, what should salons do to be able to compete effectively? Yeah, great question. Um, we spent a lot of time on this at John Paul Mitchell Systems, number one. Um, 
you know, we, we did deep dives into these brands. My first suggestion to every salon owner out there is book yourself a service with a lot of them. <laughs> you know, um, they're your biggest competitor. I, I, I've never, there is not one single salon in my neighborhood that I don't wish tremendous success on. I don't look at them as competitors. Maybe that's a problem. I don't know, but I, I believe there's enough people in where I live to, for every salon to thrive and be successful. I do, however, look at the home hair coloring business as a reason uh, that I, you know, professional salons will go out of business. That's one of the reasons why I partnered with John Paul Mitchell Systems years ago. Um, we are a family-owned company owned by hairdressers. And to me, that was a really important decision I made as a business owner because if I'm going to give it to somebody, my money to a professional color company, I wanted to make sure I was giving that money to someone who was going to keep it in the professional business. There are plenty of color companies out there that will take that money that you give them and give it to JLo to say she did her hair at home with home hair color. It's a billion dollar plus industry. Um, so that's number one. You're right. It's not the aisles anymore. I mean, as hair colorists, we never walk down those aisles. <laughs> we skipped that whole aisle. We needed yeah. nothing there. Mm. You know, there's no reason to go down that aisle. But there is a reason to look at these e salons and these Madison Reed companies because the reason is they provide what looks like a decent service, a decent option for people who are busy, who are stressed, who just want to get their hair done as a task, you know, pick up the kids, you know, go grocery shopping, hit the gym, dye hair, you know, whatever. It's, it's a to-do list item for some people. So that's always going to be an option. But what I think is really cool is if you guys jump on for those companies, they do really effective, they're effective communicators. They have a system for their consults. Um, every consult's the same. Every system is there. So why not take from that system and provide it in your salon? Um, if the home hair coloring is giving a better consult than you are in your business, you're at, you're at, a, you're at a severe uh, disadvantage. So um, for me, definitely borrow from those. Definitely be aware that they exist. Um, and do this exercise. We just did it with my salon literally Monday. Um, sit down with your people. And look at what a salon looks like 20 years from now. You know, this is such a rewarding thing to do. And I do it with every class I walk into. What is the future of what is a salon going to look like in 20 years? Um, how are people getting to the salon? Uh, what happens when they walk through the doors? What does their front desk look like? Um, how are they paying? What does the consult look like? What are they doing while they're processing? How long is the color going to take to process? What type of products are we going to use? When you put yourself out of day-to-day -day operations and you start thinking big picture, um, number one, people are more receptive to anything you're going to present after that because they are in an open-minded, creative space. But number two, by asking those questions of what it's going to be like in the future, what I found out is that most people are giving me answers to things that are already happening. It's kind of the craziest things. And, and one of the things was, I think there's going to be FaceTime consultations. I'm like, well, that's a really easy, doable thing right now through Instagram. You know, you oh, can yeah. connect. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. takes yeah. five minutes. Hmm. You know, um, some of the other things were like, I think people are going to pay with their phones. I'm like, oh my God, people, you know, have Apple Pay. You know, but when you actually start to look at these things, these are businesses. And never before, Anthony, have there been so many different generations working under one roof. People are living longer, working longer. Um, and what's happening now in salons, and I think a lot of salons are struggling right now because they have so many different, let's just quite label it for labeling sake. They have baby boomers, Gen Xers, Gen Ys, and Gen Zs working under one roof. That has always happened in business, but how each one of those people communicate is vastly different. What's important to each one of those generations is hugely different. Um, and when you do a little bit of research and you see what makes each generation thrive, these are your clients too. You know, um, if I only communicate one way, for example, I'm, I'm 41 years old, so I'm Gen X. Uh, if I only communicate the way that Gen X communicates, which is traditionally phone calls, texting, email, then I'm only going to get that type of clientele. You know, I have to branch out. Quickest way to get old is to communicate only one way. I have to branch out. I have to accept new forms of communication. I have to accept new ideas. I have to be open to what my daughter's Gen Z generation is doing. I have to prepare for that generation in the workforce and as a clientele. Um, so for me, you know, I love the idea of what does Islam look like in the future. 
because it opens up all these ideas and you guys will find out you better be doing that now. Um, most businesses are preparing for millennials still. And Gen Z is 25 years old. They're working with us. They're purchasing and they purchase completely differently. Um, having Gen Z in my house is, is such an amazing thing. I mean, the quickest example I can give you is my daughter, my son, they don't buy new clothing. You know, and when you think about that, that's such a huge statement. They don't buy new clothing. Well, okay, why not? Well, my daughter and my son believe there's enough clothing in the world right now that they can just purchase what's already existing. And smart companies are tapping into that. They're saying, oh my God, this younger generation, this is how they think. This is their beliefs. This is what they, this is who they are. And that's vastly different than the millennial generation, which is even more different than the Gen X. All these people are squashed together. But if you notice, certain companies are, are thriving um, because they're buying back old clothing. They're offering you credits for new clothing. They're recycling that old clothing. My kids are into that. So, you know, you're seeing refill stations pop up in salon. You're seeing um, something we're doing at John Paul Mitchell Systems, making sure that all of our packaging is 80% plus recyclable uh, from uh, sustainable um, things like sugar canes. And, you know, everything is changing because this is what is evolving. But if you're only doing business the way that you did it, and this goes, oh, we could, this could be a whole nother conversation. But if you're only doing business how you did it, or you want people to jump through the same hoops you're jumping through, you're never going to grow. So for me, borrow from those companies. They did the legwork. All you got to do is slide it over into your business and then one-up it with professionalism and you got yourself a winning combination. Yeah, good point. It's, it's, it, it's all out there, often happening in other industries. I always say that to people, that if you only look at what's happening in the hairdressing industry, the only chance you've got is that you do it better and that what you should do is to look out at, at what other industries are doing and how they're adapting to technologies new generational changes new ways of thinking and and look at how you can integrate that into uh the salon um lots of great stuff there um you, you touched on you know talking about technology and change uh we can't uh not talk about social media um i know uh, that you're, you know, a big fan of social media. Um, do you want to talk for a bit about how social media, obviously Instagram in particular, has impacted on your business? Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to start off by saying I'm not a big fan of social media. I actually <laughs> disliked it majorly. Again, I'm 41 years old, so I grew up in a generation where I didn't, you know, I, it wasn't Google. You asked your dad, you know what I mean? Like, and there was actually arguments where people would fight over who was correct and no one had an answer. You know, you would go to bed knowing nothing. All that's gone now. I mean, everything is such instant gratification. And, and for me, I never really was, was comfortable um, promoting myself. It wasn't how I grew up, you know, like I grew up in the, you know, pick yourself up, you know, you're hurt, you, you still play through it, you know, and you just do your thing. And there was no, uh, I didn't have a little group of people had my group, but you know, if I had a different thought or a different opinion, I had maybe five or six friends that were like, yeah, that is a good idea. But I just went with the masses, right? Because that's what we did that generation. Now, you know, you look at the social media generation and there's a whole group of kids that have 100, 500, 600,000 friends all saying, you're right, empowering them, pushing them to that their way of thinking is the correct way. And I think that's awesome. So for me at first, I wasn't into social media. It wasn't how I communicated. I thought it was a little bit gratuitous, a um, little bit conceited, a little bit, you know, all about me. And I didn't think anyone really cared what I had to say. Mm. Um, but once I realized it really isn't social media, it is really just about communication. Um, and what really got me into social media was I wanted to have a better relationship with my children. And again, I can't force my kids to communicate with me the way I communicate. Um, I have to make the effort to communicate with my children the way that they communicate. They're the future. I'm the past in this sense. So I really started to um, push myself to be open to that. And once I became open to it, I saw, you know, I give you a quick story. Like I was on a trip with my daughter years ago. We were all, she looked miserable on the trip, you know, but, and I'm getting annoyed because I'm the dad and I paid for the trip and oh my God, you know, how many kids want to be on this trip? You know, and here she is like looking grumpy and, if I didn't follow her on social media, I would never know that she was just a weird, awkward teenager like I was, yeah. you know, at the time. And I saw through social media, she's posting, we're in an aquarium, she's posting all the sharks and she's happy and she's 
ecstatic on social media, but she's also annoyed that she's out with her parents, which I totally understand when I was 13. Yeah, cool. So for me, like I got to see my kids through their eyes and the way that they communicated and that changed the game for me. I'm like, wow, I was afraid of this. I thought it was for a demographic that wasn't me. And essentially what I realized is I'm an effective communicator. I love communicating. Um, I think it's the most important thing in our lives. So I just learned a different way to talk. Yeah, well, and get with, my point across with social media. Um, how do you use it, and where do you think it's heading from an education aspect, specifically color education in the salon industry? You know, talk yeah, about that yeah. for a bit. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't use it as much as I should. I'm going to be honest with you, um, but I'm trying. You know, with my time, I have to devote a little more time to it. But I think it's 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 the everything is focused towards the individual now. So if I'm a hair colorist and I want to watch hair color videos all day long, there's a plethora of choices, which I think is amazing. So for me, what I have to do is be authentic and I have to kind of understand like through my social media, what is my page doing? Who am I talking to? I think that is a big confusion point for a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of hairdressers, for example, that want to be influencers. Um, That's great. Influencers are, it's an amazing thing to be, but that window is closing. You know, um, I think people are starting to look for more authenticity and you can tell one digital story, but if you show up in live and you can't teach a hands-in class, that's kind of going to cost you now. So you kind of have to be good at presenting the story online, also good at presenting the story in person. Um, but I, I look at my staff, for example, and sometimes my team will tag things like at behind the chair or at Paul Mitchell pro or, um, at harebrained and, all their pictures are tagging those companies. So people in those companies see their pictures, which I think is awesome. There's no better feeling than to have another professional who you admire like your work. I think that's great. Um, but in addition to those people, are you tagging the bagel shop around the corner? Are you tagging the pub that everybody goes to on Friday night? Are you you know, tagging that one local business, that restaurant that everybody's, are you including your local areas? Are you following hashtags like where, whatever the town you live in? Are you following, you know, we live in Hoboken. So we follow Hoboken, Hoboken mom, Hoboken life, Hoboken girl, Hoboken man. We follow all those tags and then we comment on those pictures. We like those pictures. So what are you trying to do? What is your page trying to do? Are you trying to be an international you know, influencer? Are you trying to be an educator? Are you trying to be busy behind the chair? Um, then you have to, to produce. On seats. Yeah. yeah. What, what are you trying yeah. to do? Most people don't, they're just trying everything. Well, you know, then your focus, just like anything else, how we started, then your focus is on everything and you're never going to be as successful in the one or two areas that you really want to be. So for me, I'm, I'm kind of trying to, my, I can tell you what my focus is. My focus is to reach more professional hair colorists because my message is, Number one, I want to help them. You know, I want to give away the stuff I've learned. I feel like the biggest way to grow is to teach. And number two, I want to share with the world that you know I, for over twenty years, have partnered with the best color company out there. That's the best kept secret in the industry. So, if you want to partner with a great color company, we have the products, and I want to build those relationships. We're looking to grow our team, so I focus on that. Um, but I would tell the people that work in my salon to focus on getting clients through the door. So what's amazing about social media is we can, I mean, my, my world has grown dramatically, the level of friends, the level of connections. And those are sincere, honest connections that you can get from nowhere else. So it's just like meeting new people and hanging out with people. And it's, it's an honest way to communicate. I love it. Mm, Good. Okay. But from a salon owner's point of view, um, how do you uh, manage and set guidelines around the salons social media or don't you we we i mean for us again it's we try to leverage our clients through our social media um i'm like that been like that my whole life um i think we have some amazing people in our business and i'd like to that come to our business i would like to celebrate and help them spread their word and i feel like that's a more authentic way to you know, somebody knows that client. And, oh my God, they get their hair done here. So we really try to leverage the people that come to our business um, and showcase them and help them grow. I mean, it's more of a networking thing for us. Um, we try to showcase, you know, the clients uh, strong befores and afters. Um, 
but my manager, Megan, does a great job with social media. Um, it's one of those things, though, you know, it, a lot of us hire, and this is where, I, where I've been, where I'm moving. We hire accountants, we hire lawyers, we hire, you know, anyone to help us on the business end of things because we don't know how to do it. But yet, a lot of us are afraid to hire social media directors and things like that. And I honestly think that's where it's moving. Like, I think a social media director is just as important as an accountant moving forward. Um, again, you have to know where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. Um, it's not as easy as handing a, a phone to a young kid anymore. You do it. You're young. You're under 20. You can do my social media. Um, you know, they're speaking to that one demographic. I think, you know, this is a modern form of advertising. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you should invest in it. All right. Now, I purposefully left this uh, until now uh, because I knew once I got you started on it, I'd never get you to stop. Um, and that is uh, Style Trip. Most people listening to this or a very big percentage of them wouldn't have heard of Style Trip and won't know what it is. So uh, I, I hope you don't mind if I compare it to uh, Anthony Bardane uh, Parts Unknown, which was a you know, for maybe maybe people go, who the hell is Anthony Bourdain? Parts unknown. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, it was a great TV documentary by a chef who, you know, travelled uh, a lot, uh, went to a lot of inspiring places, and and talked about food, and talked about um, you know community, talked about people and inspiration, etc. And to me, that's what Style Trip is, and uh, it's I know it's your baby, so um, you know, you tell us more about Style Trip. What is it? And why are you doing it? What do you hope to get out of it? Yeah, for sure. And, and thanks for asking. It is my baby. Um, Style Trip started probably about nine years ago. Um, I, it was a passion project for me. Um, uh, I actually started it with one of my best friends. Like It was my idea, my concept, and my buddy filmed. And he would come and he was great with a camera. And he actually passed away. But um, one of my best friends growing up, and we always were filming together. So he was the camera guy. Um, behind it. And, you know, I was the creator concept of it, but um, originally it was just about creative, being creative and focusing on what makes creative people creative. Um, and I always figured, you know, chefs have their shows and like to your point, and people are always, everybody gets their haircut, you know, people are infatuated with hairdressers. Um, they want to know what makes them tick. Anybody will watch a show about a hairdresser, I think, and traveling because, you know, why not? You know, those are two things that people love to do. They all get haircuts. So what, where it really started though, was every video I've ever seen was always about if you cut hair like this and you do this and do this and do this, you will have this great haircut exactly like mine. Well, okay, that's great. And the industry has been like that, but I was more interested in how this artist think of this haircut. Where do they live? What do they do? And um, I've been working for John Paul Mitchell Systems for 19 years, um, independently, you know, as, as, as an educator. And the one thing I thank, I'm thankful for the most from this company is that they showed me the world. I mean, I was a kid who grew up in South Jersey, 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia, and I never went anywhere outside two hours from my home, you know, and until I started working with Paul Mitchell, my first trip was to Italy. And I never went to, I'd never been anywhere before. And I remember being in Italy. My buddy called me on my cell phone because he knew I had hockey tickets. And he's like, Hey, I heard you're in Italy. I want your tickets. What's Italy like? And I'm like, dude, it's older than Philly. I know <laughs> nothing to complain compared to. I've never seen the world. And I remember I was so infatuated with the Italian hairdressers I met and the culture and how they did hair and the different hair textures they work on and all the tips they gave me because they work on different fabrics, different you know, different trends and they would give me their tips and tricks. And I was blown away because, you know, and then I would share with them what I did and we would all take a piece of each other and then, you know, be that much better, you know, moving forward. And for me, I've never been anywhere in the world I haven't loved. And people always try to catch me. They name places that they think would be terrible. And some of those places they name I've been to and I'm like, I absolutely love it there. They have the best, you know, breweries, amazing wines, amazing this, amazing that people and, and they're like, wow, you know, that's crazy. I would have thought that place was terrible. Most people, when they go somewhere, they sit in their hotel and they do nothing, you know, and they say, oh, it wasn't good there. Well, you didn't do anything. When I go somewhere, I meet other hairdressers and those hairdressers bring me to the places they love. Because even if you lived in your city, you know, for 25 years and you're 25 years old, 
and you hated it yesterday, when somebody comes to visit, you love it all of a sudden. I'm going to bring you here, here, here. You know, and when you leave the town you live in, you miss it. And I got to experience all those things. I was born in a small town. I wanted to get out of it so bad. And then when I did, I missed the hell out of it. You know, when somebody came to visit, I would bring them to all the amazing places in my community I took for granted prior to them coming. So as I'm on these journeys and people are bringing me to these, I mean, what better tour guide than a hairdresser, by the way, you know, they can get you in the back door and the best restaurants and whatever, just like that. Cause they make the community beautiful. So I noticed that I got to travel and I got to see things. And I just wanted to share that with the industry. I wanted to, you know, maybe you are a kid like me who grew up in a small town who never got to travel very far. And maybe you want to take a trip to Italy. Maybe you want to go see how Angus Mitchell, um, you know, grew up in Hawaii. Maybe you want to, visit Burlington, Vermont and see Burton snowboards, how they make snowboards and, you know, learn from the hairdressers that live in that community on what type of hair they do in Burlington. You can do that through style trip. And what's amazing is we take these journeys, we meet these hairdressers, these hairstylists tell us what makes them tick, um, how they become creative, where they search for inspiration. They bring us to places that they're inspired by in their community. And then we do a one-off cut and color based on that inspiration. And, you know, it's just all about community. It's all about art. It's all about talking to other artists who don't even do hair. Because, you know, when I talk to another artist and I can see the passion and energy and love for what they do, I can borrow from that and put it into what I do. And really, it's all about community, um, art and inspiration. And it's my favorite project by far. It's amazing. Um, It's also wonderful because we're not always filming with you know, industry icons, we do, but we also film with, you know, regular salons like mine and everybody else's who are doing amazing business, you know, in the middle of some place you've never been before, you know, and they're just as good as everybody else, you know, and it's just an amazing thing to showcase and to, to share with people. And it's really authentic, you know, and I hope people do watch it and do enjoy it. And I hope they reach out and say, Hey, come film with me. Because that's really what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about learning from other people and and traveling and spending some time with some great artists and then showcasing them. That's what we do at, at, on Style Trip. Well, I, I enjoy watching them. I thoroughly enjoy watching them. And I think there's a there's sort of a deeper thing that goes on with this because, and it's listening to you now, I've probably never spoken as little on any of my podcasts as what I have with you for the last uh, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. And um, it's because you're a great storyteller and hairdressers are great storytellers. Uh, often when you, you know, look at someone, a successful hairdresser is a good storyteller. They're able to, you know, talk to the bank manager one minute and, you know, the, the I don't know, the mum the next minute, the grandmother the minute after and the, the girl who's got her hair being done for prom the, the next. So, so you Hopefully, hairdressers learn to communicate if they want to succeed, and they learn to be um, adaptable, and they learn to be good storytellers. And it's interesting when I watch uh, Style Trip, it is all about telling stories, and it's all the things you just said about people talking about uh, their their community is a big part of it. You know, I, I watched mm-hmm. them. I watched some more before I got on the phone with you today you know, to, to just get back into it. And and there is always a real sense of community, how these salons and these hairdressers exist within their community and the importance of that. And there is another thing that happens. I mean, you just mentioned it when you talked about uh, Vermont and you talked about the snowboarding company, Boat and Snowboards. Um, there's always craftsmanship involved. You know, there was another one you did, I think it was in Colorado, where you went to a brewery. And it's you're talking to people that deal with a completely different business. So whether it's making snowboards or making surfboards or, you know, making wine in a brewery or whatever, um, they have a similar passion for their craft. And uh, the sense of community, the sense of craftsmanship, the sense of passion and camaraderie ship and, and inspiration. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. I think it's really, you know, insightful. And I think the, the bit that I'm trying to get to is I think that storytelling is a great way to educate people. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a, it is the, the essence of being a good communicator, I think is 
being able to get up there and tell stories because people forget about the theory. You know, they forget about that, but they never forget the story that's gone on behind the theory. And I think that is one of the things that makes Style Trip so successful and an enjoyable thing to watch. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, and that's the, the thing I'm most proud of is, I mean, people will come up and say, I love your work. I love that picture you did um, based on the New Belgium Brewery episode. That wasn't me. Um, that was Lauren from Studio B. And, and, and for me, you know, um, that's what it's all about. It's about showcasing all the other people and hearing their stories. And, and, and I borrowed from that. We were actually on one episode. We were filming. We were in Italy. I was in Italy for work once and it was, you know, Guy Fiore, right? I don't know if you guys know, but he's the famous chef. I don't even know if I said his name right, but I was with my buddy Simone. And it was kind of amazing because he just got done filming one of his shows. And we were at this really, you know, famous restaurant in Italy. You know, people can walk right by and you're eating outside. And and uh, someone came up to him, Americans, and were like, oh my God, it's Guy Fiore. And he was great. I mean, he brought him over, sat him at the table, let him eat right from his plate, <laughs> you know, and try this. You got to try this. You gotta... And he was so passionate and excited. And it's the same kind of enthusiasm that we have for Style Trip. What I loved about it was a chef came out and um, was g- gifted him one of the pans that this restaurant's famous for. And it was really cool. And he actually told the story and I was just eavesdropping. And um, he said, you know, in the chef culture, we trade items. And I thought that was really neat. So he's like, if he was telling them, like, he's going to give me his pan and I'm going to give, send him one of my favorite knives to make one of my favorite dishes. And they give each other their tools because they admire that person. And you get this pan so you can make the dish that I made for you. Yeah. And then I'm going to send you this. And I just thought that was so cool, you know, and, and even though we're not giving away scissors and Lips yeah. and combs, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we are giving away tips and tricks and tools that make us all better. And if we're better as a community, um, we'll all be successful, you know? And there is no, you know, these chefs don't run around saying, I can't stand that chef from around the corner because they're busier than me. They, they honor each other and they try to impress each other. I think hairdressers are the same way at their core. Mm, you know, okay. it's all about us getting better together. Exactly. Okay, so um, we need to wrap up, unfortunately. I'm thoroughly enjoying sitting there listening to you talk. Uh, but, Colin, whereabouts can people connect with you on social or online or email or whatever? What's, what's the best way to, to reach uh, Colin Caruso? Yeah, the best way, I mean, it's at C-O-L-I-N-C-A-R-U-S-O on Instagram. That would be uh, pretty much the, where I spend most of my time, and you can DM through there. That's what I love about Instagram as well. Really easy to communicate. Um, otherwise, you know, you can go to, um, we have a lot of stuff on uh, paulmitchellpro.com, a lot of videos, a lot of training tools. We also have a John Paul Mitchell systems YouTube page, um, where a lot of the style trip stuff is. And we have a Facebook page, um, for Paul Mitchell, uh, John Paul Mitchell systems that has all the style trips and things like that on it as well. So education videos, anything you're looking for, um, just, if you need a little quick shot in the arm, get inspired real quick, we got you. That's the best place to see Style Trip for people that are curious. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube under the John Paul Mitchell Systems uh, page. And it's also on our Facebook page, uh, John Paul Mitchell Systems Facebook page. You can watch the episodes natively and they're all right there. Fantastic. And then me personally, I'm on Instagram and reach out, man. I'm here to help. And I want to, while I have you, you know, we have to hang up, but I wanted to thank you. Um, You coach my business. You motivate my team when I'm not around. And um, even when I am around, you still are motivating them. And I think having someone like you in my corner enables me to grow myself in the areas that I'm successful in. And I wouldn't still have a business if it wasn't for you, my friend. And I love having a coach like you. I value having a coach like you. And my manager, um, when our time ran up, she was very upset. So we are back on with you uh, more and more moving forward. You are a complete. pleasure to work with. And uh, I learn a lot from you every time. So thank you for keeping me focused on my business. Well, thank you so much. That was uh, most unexpected and, and very much appreciated. So Colin Caruso, thank you very much. If you're listening to this podcast with Colin Caruso and you've enjoyed it, then please do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone 
and share it to your Instagram stories. Uh, so to wrap up, Colin, I have really enjoyed sitting here listening to you. I want to thank you so much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. And uh, there's lots of notes I made, which I didn't even get round to touching on. So hopefully further down the line at a future date, we can get you back on again and dig in a bit deeper to some other areas. So Colin Caruso, thank you very much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.